0: This summer we've been talking about some things that I thought might be time for us to slow down and remember again. These are concepts, terms, words that we have as a part of the Christian vernacular, but I think that a lot of times we've had trouble with them. We have some confusion about them, maybe some discomforts about them. So we've talked about things like the Trinity. We've talked about, i am um, no, just do a blank, we ta- <laughs> what else have we talked about? What have we talked about? Sin. Sin. We talked about, oh, I knew you'd remember sin. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh, see, you've been missing. It was all a trick. And in the coming days, we're going to talk about what happens after our death and so on. But uh, when, this, when I was getting ready for this summer series, I knew that one of the things that I knew we needed to talk about was spending Sunday talking about the Bible, the Bible, right? I mean, we all know about the Bible. We all, we're Christians. We all know about the Bible. But it seems to me that there's, quite frankly, a certain level of discomfort, maybe even distrust, confusion about what is the Bible. And it does indeed seem to me that most of the division and acrimony that occurs within the life of the Christian community and between the Christian community and the world comes down to how we interpret and engage with the Bible. So for the next few minutes, if you'll allow us, I want to lead you in that conversation and reflection. But first, listen to Susie as she reads to you from 2 Timothy, which is a a letter being written of instruction to the early church. And in this very short passage, the writer of this letter is encouraging Timothy to continue to use Scripture as a part of their teaching. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient Equipped for every good work. The word of God for the people of God. Join with me in a brief word of prayer. Help us to be present fully to you, Lord, even as you are most certainly present to us. And in this worship, whatever it is that we came to offer and to ask, whatever it is that you desire to give, we pray there will be a meeting of those moments, those offerings, those thoughts, and our very lives. And if it's around this message, I pray the words of my mouth will not get in the way of what you need us to hear and that what we're thinking about will not keep us from hearing what you want to give. Bless this time to the glory of God and for the purpose of all God's people. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I really do believe that the things that we're taught at the earliest age really help shape and form how we see things later on in life. And I don't know about you, but... Maybe you also were raised in the faith community and maybe you went to a Sunday school or a vacation Bible school when you were a kid. And Maybe there you, like I, was taught this very simple song. The B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E oh, You did learn it. And why they teach us that song? Well, it's easy, it's fast, we can learn it, we still remember it hundred years later. And I think it was trying to say to us when we were young children that as Christians we stand on the Bible. The Bible is uh, the, the book. It's the foundation of our faith. And as Christian disciples for the rest of our life we're to have this engaged relationship with this holy book. As a result... Because I believe what they taught me as a child, I assume that we've all done that. And so right now I'd invite all of you to lift up the Bible that you brought with you to worship today. Pew Bibles don't count. Phones can. And some of you actually have your own Bible. And none of that is judgment on anybody. It's not suggesting that anybody's better or worse than. You know there are some traditions where everyone brings their Bible, right? There are those traditions. There are other communities where maybe uh, they don't um, bring their Bible as often, like ours. And uh, I even knew a friend of mine who went to a church who got in trouble if he said the name Jesus too many times in the sermon. So there's a wide range of uh, uh, happenings within the faith community and how we engage with the Bible and the message of the Bible. I think the Bible is, is, for so many of us, a book that we are intimidated by and have a struggle with. And so I'd like you to help me, and I've asked Reverend Laura to, to help me out here. We share in ministry a lot, in congregational care, and, and we both are ordained to the, to the work of helping to live and be in the community of the church. And she just writes better than I do, so I've asked her to do this task for me. If you would, please tell me some of the obstacles or struggles you've encountered with trying to read the Bible or pick up the Bible or get familiar with the Bible and so on. What is it? It's relevance. Okay, the relevance, question mark, is what I'm hearing about that. Language. The language they use. I'm going to have you raise your hand so I can catch you. The violence in the Bible. There are things in the Bible that offend us, right? Interpretations of Scripture. What else? Oh, the Old Testament names. Where was Sam and Joe back in the day, is what I'm saying, right? I mean, the names can be problematic, seriously. Why these books and not other books? What else? We don't know the history, we don't know the context, it makes it really difficult to figure out what they're talking about. Other things? George? All right, so we we got a joint thing here. There's some sections of the scripture that do not seem to match up our understanding of the God of love. So put that in three words. So... contradictions. Will you live with that? We'll know what that means. Okay. Others. Yes. Yes. Just don't understand some of it. Me too. I sometimes go, what's this about? Some of who just don't understand. What else? Anyone else? One last one. The book of Revelation. Whole conversation unto itself, right? Wow, is that a bizarre book. Yes, the book of Revelation. And there are other sections of the Bible like the book of Revelation where the whole section we just go, I have no idea what's going on here. Can I get an amen? All of these obstacles are maybe why it's true that I think for many we no longer spend much time with the Bible. We've become frustrated by it we become confused by it. And maybe sometimes we've just been actually of the position and thinking that the Bible is hurting my faith. That I read some sections of it and I go, this, this is more painful. I'd rather have my faith not get struggled or, or, or bothered by all this, all this. Well, I want to take a few minutes with you today to talk about the Bible and I'm not going to be able to pick off all of these questions but hopefully I give us some context to be able to begin our struggle anew with the scriptures because we have to really face the realities of what keep us from engaging in God's word because the truth is the Bible was given to us by generations and by God for us to have this tool to enhance our faith, to deepen our faith, So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we begin by realizing that the scriptures were given to us not originally as a novel to be read, but rather they started off as stories. Right? The first stories of the Bible that we read about in Genesis and so on began as camp stories. They were sitting around the campfire in a pre-scientific age trying to answer basic questions like who are we, who did all this, and what's going on? And they came up with the stories like the creation stories of Genesis 1 and 2. Two creation stories. One, talking about how God, oh, that's a statement, how God, there's a statement of faith right there, it was God who created all this and did so in the order which, quite frankly, works out pretty well. And then the second story to say, well, while God's creating all the world, how do I fit in? And why is my life so difficult? And how did this get so messed up? And so two creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2. An attempt to try to answer those questions. Were they answering scientific questions? No. And you've already heard my sermon this, Sunday, uh, this summer on science and faith and how they are compatible and not in contradiction. So they told these stories. They got passed down through generations that gave people a sense of identity, that gave them an understanding of who they were and that they were in a relationship with God as best they understood God at that point. And then they began to be a community, or shall I say communities, who came together. And they began to experience God. They began to have life experiences that told them that this God was still present with them, not just lost in creation, but present in the here and now. And they began to write those things down as best as they understood them. They started to write their history. But history as instruction. History is saying, look at what happened, how God has done these things for us. It defines us. And then as they came together as a community, you know how people are. We need direction. We need order. We need laws. And so they began to write those. And so we have those in Scripture. They tried to organize around those laws in relationship with the God they'd known through their history. And then they began, well, you know how we are as a people. We get emotional. We we begin to think about things poetically. And so they began to write poetry, music, and song to express both the highs and the lows of their relationship with God. And then... They had to tell more of their story because, quite frankly, they turned their back on God and everything fell apart, and yet they discovered, even in exile, far away from the God or where they thought God would be, they discovered God had trailed after them. God was still with them, and the story of the exile reminded them that this God, who started in the beginning with creation, would be a God who would never leave them. Now, that's the Old Testament in six minutes, okay? That's what it was. It's a witness and a story and a telling of this relationship with God. And as such, Jewish scriptures lay there for us as an invitation to enter into the story. And yes, you're going to read passages of the Old Testament of Jewish scriptures that are horrific. Because, God bless them, back in the day they didn't understand that all of life was equally equal. And so, yes, they talked about horrible things happening. And back then, they thought that God somehow was honoring the fact of all these terrible things happening. Guess what? They were growing in their relationship with God. I don't think about God the same way I did when I was 25. Not that any of you who are 25 or thinking bad about God. It's just the longer you walk with God, the more you get to know, the more you get to experience. So, quit judging them. Please, Because I don't want to be judged by everything that I say and do today. Because I'll think about it differently down the road. I hope. That's what maturing does. And then we get to the New Testament. And we get this guy named Jesus. And this guy named Jesus comes into the world. And the people who gathered around Jesus began to understand that he stood in light of all the scriptures that came before them. And in so doing, by his words and by his deeds, the way he lived, what he taught, he was giving us the opportunity to become the kinds of people that God always wanted us to be in the creation story way back when. And we've got four stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're radically different stories. Matthew reads like somebody who's come in to establish his kingdom. Mark, he's just running around all over the place telling everybody what's going on. Luke, he shows the compassion of someone who's worried about those who are hurting and to care for the needy and to have compassion and mercy. And the Gospel of John, well, it was written later, so not only did they tell his the story, they decided to help you understand what it meant, to put a little theology in it. So you're going to find some things in John you're not going to find in the other, four, other three stories but they're all stories of Jesus. And then the book of Acts is what happens when Jesus is resurrected and the church begins to form and organize and do its thing and some of the things we wish we could do now and some of the things we were wise to learn from them never to do again. And then you've got the rest of the New Testament which are letters. Letters. They are letters written by people, oftentimes the Apostle Paul or his disciples, but he was writing to try to help the church to learn things. I don't think he was writing them knowing they were going to become Scripture for the next 2,000 plus years. I don't think he was writing in those letters, this is the way life should always be, but rather in the context that he was writing in that moment, he was trying to witness faith and inviting new generations to do exactly the same thing. And then Revelation, which is the right question. The book of Revelation, which was not about predicting the future. The book of Revelation, which was this amazingly wild, bizarre way of saying a very simple truth. At the end of everything, God wins. You boil down the book of Revelation. All those bizarre symbols that we don't even fully understand because we're not supposed to. They're sort of like code. We're not supposed to know all that. All we know is at the end of the Revelation, God wins. God created the story of God and God's people, and at the end, God wins. There's your Bible. Amen? That wasn't so hard, was it? Why does it matter that we continue to engage with the Scriptures? Huh? Huh? To stay connected. You're stealing my sermon from me. It was a rhetorical question. Stop doing that. But she's right. It's my second point. I'm coming right to it. There are three things I want you to understand why it's important you stay connected with your Bible. So we can have a biblical worldview. What does that mean? It means as we engage with the Bible and read the Bible, we begin picking up images and stories and themes from the Bible and they begin to shape how we see ourselves and see the world. Do you know how many worldviews are competing for your mind and heart in every given moment? Trying to get you to want things and need things and do things? Trying to influence you and shape how you see your world and others? You want me to give you a quick illustration? go home this afternoon and watch CNN for 10 minutes and watch Fox News for 10 minutes. One or the other will make you nauseous. Or both, perhaps. right? Because they're all trying to get you to see the world from a particular worldview. Well, what if, in fact, you began your day with a biblical worldview? That you allow that, even the stuff that sometimes is hard for us to understand, to wrestle with Scripture, to let it live in our minds and our hearts. So on days when either you or others are trying to tell you falsehoods about yourself, the Scriptures will tell you that you are God's child and what's possible with God. Have a biblical worldview. There used to be a day, there used to be a day, it predates my life, but it used to be a day when the entire culture was biblically literate. You all knew your Bible, you knew the images. So when I would preach a sermon, if I could have back in those days, I could have talked about the exodus And everyone would have been immediately on the same page knowing what the theme was about. That's not true anymore. It's not about blame or guilt. I'm not making anybody feel bad. I just know as a preacher, I have to take time to explain the Exodus. That's why my sermons are so long. If you were biblically literate, we'd be out of here by now. There's a challenge. But to have a biblical worldview would shape how we see ourselves and see each other. The other thing is... Being intimate with the Bible helps shape the community that we are a part of. It's what binds us together. Which is so ironic because in the world today we see the Bible as that which is so divisive. That's what makes sure that we are not going to be with those people over there. And we hold up our Bibles more like a weapon than an inspiration or an invitation. The Bible gives us the opportunity to find common language and experiences where we gather together, and it's okay if we disagree. does not matter if we disagree on interpretations of certain passages of Scripture because if we're really reading Scriptures and allowing Scriptures to be a part of our journey, we discover when you and I disagree on these chapters or these verses or that, we are still brothers and sisters with each other. And at last I knew, brothers and sisters can disagree and stay in the same family. Now, we've been married 37 years. We've disagreed twice. <laughs> but that's what, that's what Laura tells me we've done. And, and, and we're still together. And it's okay. And it's okay to disagree. And it's okay to not think certain things the same way. Because we discover the commonality of who we are as God's people in the scriptures. And every time we are leaning towards taking the scriptures and say, you're wrong, you are just not a part of man, go back and stop. Stop. Because that's not why the Bible is given to us. And then finally, the Bible is the living word of God. That is to say, it's not like a novel when you read it and you get to the end and go, wow, that was a good book, and you put it down. Maybe you'll go back and pick it up and reread it again sometime because you really like the novel, but it's going to have the same story, right? It's going to have the same ending. You actually look forward to that. The Bible is a living and breathing entity. So when you read the Bible... It's not just reading the words on the page, but allowing the Holy Spirit of God to flow through you as you read the words on that page. That's why I can go back and reread several passages over and over again throughout the years, and they say different things to me. The Spirit's working differently with me. I'm in a different place of life, but it's a different situation. It's a living word. But if you haven't picked up your Bible and read those passages, how can that living word breathe in you? We let all those things that Laura wrote down earlier, those the obstacles, to keep us from picking up our Bible and gaining these gifts. I think it's interesting that when Jesus was asked, what's the most important part of Scripture? What's the biggest deal about Scripture? He said this. In Matthew 22, I will not tell you which verses. You have to read the whole chapter to find it. In Matthew 22, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he took out of all of Scripture. Now, he used Scripture continually. By the way, what Scripture was he using? Hebrew Scripture, New Testament wasn't written. Oh, by the way, the verse that was just read to us, all Scripture, give me the quote again because I have, I'm going fast. Let me, get, let, me, let me borrow this just for a second. Right here, right here. All Scripture is inspired by God and used for training, reproof, correction, for training righteousness. You know when they wrote that the New Testament didn't exist, Right? They weren't saying, this scripture is now our spanking rod. Though oftentimes I've I've heard that passage used in that way. It's simply saying this, it's a living word. It's living, it's breathing. And here's my simple witness to you. Those who have been willing to continue to engage with the scriptures have found these gifts in their life growing more and more. And the purpose of the community of faith is to encourage us to continue to do that. Not judge each other for how much we have or haven't, but encourage us to engage with the scriptures. When we do that, our faith life grows. Our community is stronger. And we see the world and ourselves in a different way. So, here's my invitation to you. And if you're already engaged deeply in biblical study, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you've not been reading the Bible lately, and you'd like to start, I want to ask you to do this very simple thing. Pick up your Bible and turn to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books. They tell the story of Jesus. I want you to read those first four books. I'm not telling you how soon you have to do them. It's not by, like, next Sunday or something. Do a chapter a week. Just read through. And some of the parts you're going to read, you're going to go, what is going on here? And some of it's going to inspire you. And some of it's going to make you wonder. But just keep reading and ask yourself simply this question. Who is this Jesus? And what is Jesus saying to me now? Realizing you're going to get four different pictures of Jesus, at least, as you read through those Gospels. Okay? Just do that. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get through that. Begin answering those questions of who he is. I think you're going to be more comfortable going further in your Bible reading. Because the B-I-B-L-E really is the book that God intended to give to us all along. And I just know there's nothing more I can do to help your faith journey than to encourage you to pick it up and let it be a part of your life. Amen.